I have been rooting for the unicorn to show up ever since I saw it on the whiteboard. <laughs> there you go. You and are the Yoda of abdominal tumors. On a scale of one to five sexist surgery machines. This is serious business. Interior, Boston, evening. Jeff sits clutching his knees to his chest as snow whips against his windows. Cut to interior, New York, evening. Kristen sits in her bedroom. She shivers violently and then lights her trash can on fire to keep herself warm in the bitter, bitter cold. Cut to exterior, Los Angeles, afternoon. Rob lounges on a beach drinking a large alcoholic beverage out of a coconut. He tilts his head towards the ocean, lifts his sunglasses, and smirks. And this is Serious Business. I am Jeff, your host for this week's episode, and tonight we are talking about the fine art of screenwriting. And specifically, Film Crit Hulk's new book, Screenwriting 101. And that was a long intro. <laughs> am I well, Oscar I... the Grouch? What's going on here? It was no, eerily it's... accurate. It's cold here. <laughs> it's really cold here, and snowing really hard, and... <laughs> Rob is uh, enjoying his West Coast lifestyle. I really am. Yes. So um, this week I am joined by Rob. Rob, how's it going? It's going pretty well, Jeff. Glad to hear it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, so, Rob, what is your favorite screenplay? Oh. And this can be a screenplay you've read, or it can be a screenplay of a movie that you've seen, even if you've never actually read the screenplay as a standalone. Oh, interesting. Man. That is a tough one. I love and hate so many. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go for the boring answer and just say In Bruges because that was a formative screenplay for me. It's not only watch via the movie, but uh, I then also bought and I've read several times and I keep going back to it. That one was an early gem for me. There's just something so perfect about it, so cyclical and symmetrical and funny and dark and sad and I don't know. It's just got something for everyone. Mm -hmm. so it hits hits all all the highs and lows and does it. I mean, it's it's one of those movies with the layers that every time you I watch it, I notice something different. How every little part of it is intentional. Mm -hmm. It has some callback to something that you didn't mm -hmm. even realize it was calling back. It's just perfect. And that's by, he's a playwright, isn't he? Yes, that is uh, Martin McDonough, mm -hmm. who also did Seven Psychopaths. His brother did The Guard, and has a new one coming out this year. Um, I think his name is Michael McDonough, but don't mm -hmm. quote me on that. But Martin McDonough is, uh, yes, he's a very famous playwright. And the two brothers decided together that they would make the most Irish movies you could possibly imagine. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, The Guard is really really up there in terms yeah. of the most irish movie i could ever <laughs> possibly imagine but yeah i actually think that's a fine choice despite it being boring as you say i, I don't know if i would even remotely call it boring it's a great movie as and... Kristen is to sherlock rob is to in bruges mm -hmm. wait that's... i called it boring well you didn't call the screenplay boring you called your choice boring because oh oh right yeah because well, it was expected yeah. of me i just wrote yes. about it for the site yeah <laughs> right right cool and rob what if anything you're drinking out of oh. your giant coconut out of my giant coconut, I'm drinking a whiskey so bad and cheap. I'm too embarrassed to name it, but uh, I am making it drinkable via ginger ale. So, You know what you the worst drink I have ever experienced was? Or, uh, you know, I, I didn't even actually Gold drink Schlager? No. Gold <laughs> Schlager is great. You guys don't <laughs> even know. We had some idea. I was once at a college party. It was not my college. It was a friend's college. And... They decided it would be a good idea, instead of purchasing tequila, 
to purchase tortilla, which is a tequila-esque beverage. Mm. Yes. Is it, it was, like, distilled chips? It it smelled like VapoRub. Oh, <laughs> it was it was not not a not a good choice. Uh, fortunately, I did not drink any. I simply was in its vicinity, but it was it was rather horrifying. I imagine though that your whiskey is pretty bad, Rob. And yeah, it's it's bad. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on, we got Kristen. Kristen, how's it going? It's going well. I actually do have heating in my apartment, so yeah, that's not a lit on fire trash barrel. Uh, I'm pretty sure if the heat ever goes out in my apartment, I'm going to light a trash can on fire. Well, I'm from the frozen north, and I come ready-made with a few layers of my own, so I'm, like, insulated with a fine layer of blubber, (laughs) so I'm pretty much good on my own. Hmm. Well, you know. (laughs) What? I'm hardy. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Kristen is winter ready. Winter prepared. In the summer, I'm going to be rolling around and crying because I hate it. Yeah, summer in New York City is uh, highly unpleasant. See, we're insulated with a thin layer of garbage around this entire yeah. city. So Ooh. it keeps us nice and toasty. Mm, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, what is your favorite screenplay, Kristen? It's the first movie that came to mind. I really love V for Vendetta and the way that it handles exposition. Because it just it's so deft with how it, handle, uh, how it saves it for the end. And there's like two or three humongous info dumps at the end of that movie. But because it's at the end, you spend the first half of the movie going, what's going on? What is it? And then so by the time the information comes, it's welcome. And it's not just like, blah, blah. They're talking about some abstract thing I don't understand or care about yet. And there's still some things that they they go unexplained. Like they talk about the reclamation. But you understand what they mean. They don't say, you know, it's the time when we rounded up all the kids and put them in camps or whatever. Like, you get it. They treated the audience like they were smart in that movie. And I know that it dumbed down the comics. I know we have a disagreement about which is better, the comic or the movie. But I think that it's still a pretty damn good script. And it's it's pretty tight and has a lot of really interesting moments. So that's just really impressive to me for how it handled the exposition. Yeah, if you can separate it from the adaptation, I think you're right. <laughs> Although, I, I think it's better than the Me books, too. But, yeah, I dis- yeah, I disagree with you guys, but... <laughs> That's a discussion for another time. <laughs> that we've had before. <laughs> yes, that, that, that we've done. Oh, have we? Yeah. Uh, we've had it maybe once or twice. Oh. <laughs> I think uh, it came up in Geek of the Week a couple yeah. times. Sure. Kristen, what, if anything, are you drinking this fine, snowy evening? Uh, moonshine that I made in my garbage pail that I keep in my apartment. Now, um, I... I'm <laughs> 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 just not going to let that go. It's North Country Red Wine from the Thousand Islands Winery. Winter-y. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's way fancier than your uh, garbage pail. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a very sweet red wine that's basically Welch's that's been left out too long. I think Lena Dunham has a really good quote where she says that any time a waiter asks her what sort of wine she wants, she asks for alcoholic juice. <laughs> and that sounds very similar to what you've just described. That is essentially what I like to drink. Ergo, Kristen is actually Lena Dunham. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Living in New York, you know, bunch of girls drinking alcoholic juice. She has 100% more boyfriends than I do, but I would choose single over Adam. Oh, really? Whoa. Wow. I mean, okay, I haven't watched a lot of that show, but just everything I see about him is like, uh-uh. 
I will, but he's endearing in his weirdness. I will die a spinster over someone who like <laughs> wants to focus on his etchings or whatever. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's just oh. much more authentic, you know? Like, oh no, I'm gonna punch you in the face. Yeah, no, it's not that he's authentic. He's definitely a highly contrived character, but he's just so unusual. No. I don't even actually like <laughs> girls that much, I'm not gonna lie, but I, I like that character. I do like that character. Please say the TV show. The TV show, Kristen, the TV show. I just don't like your, girls. Your gender is fine. Oh, <laughs> we're cutting this off right now. Yeah, no, we're stopping. So let's see, what is my favorite screenplay? I, I'm going to be boring like Rob in that this is a relatively cliche answer, but I think I'm going to have to go with Chinatown by Robert Town. It is widely acclaimed, and just about every screenwriting course begins with, you should read Chinatown! Uh, but it really did teach me how to write. It, it it did so in a way that didn't have to do with broad ideas or story strokes. It, it's just a a gorgeous piece, and every single scene, you can tell there's tons and tons of effort put into it. The amount of detail surpasses that of just about any other piece of screenwriting I've read. Because screenwriting as a medium is very difficult for a lot of people who come from the prose world to grasp and you know prose is all about using language to paint a picture to create a, a scene and to portray certain ideas uh, in any way that you can believe but screenwriting has strict rules screenwriting is like the writing it's like writing a lab report like you you just have to do it a certain way or people get mad at you that generally involves just straightforward description of what is visually occurring and somehow Chinatown manages to take those limitations and still make them literary and beautiful. There'll be a description of a single drop of sweat dropping from Yeti's face onto a piece of paper on his desk. And you watch the movie, and there's a shot specifically of the single drop of sweat falling and, and, and hitting a single piece of paper on his desk. And... I just think it's incredible that someone produced that level of detail in a screenplay without it becoming insufferable. So I give Robert Towns Chinatown the solid thumbs up as my favorite screenplay ever. It's a fine choice. I've only read parts of it. It's so weird to go back and read another quote-unquote era of screenplays because to read Chinatown and then to read like a modern screenplay, one that's like circulating now, they're very different. They're even more formal and I would say literary back then. Now they're much more informal. There's a greater patience, I think, for text on the page hmm. from from the time that Chinatown came from. That isn't the case anymore. That, this is a whole other can of worms. But what I'm saying <laughs> is when you go back and you read something like Chinatown, or even something earlier like Casablanca or something. It's big blocks of text, but it, it lends itself more to literature mm -hmm. than to say like haiku, which I would I would say like modern screenplays usually go for more of a haiku angle on how the words fall on the page. They're more dense. Yeah, a lot of modern screenwriting, from what I understand, is produced by much younger people than it used to be, and that probably has something true. to do with That's it. That's also true. Yeah, there's a lack of patience, I imagine, that goes into the writing process. Well, I think there's more people who are trying to, and it's part of like just what's taught and what's accepted at festivals and what people are willing to read mm -hmm. in contests. And so a lot of people aren't willing, and probably wisely, aren't taking a lot of risks with putting too much direction 
in their screenplays. Right. Yeah, no, I That's I the other thing. We could be that. looking at shooting scripts yeah. too, which are different than, you know, spec scripts. So. But if right. you look at like Tarantino, like he's his own brand now, so he just kind of does whatever the fuck he wants. Oh, he doesn't yeah. have to answer to anyone. Exactly. He just writes so, like, one draft. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. tweaks as he goes. But he's right. like, you know, editorializing within it, and he's doing, he's breaking rules, like talking about emotions. You're only supposed to talk about like what you see. Right. You can't mm-hmm. even talk about what you smell. You talk about someone wrinkling their nose. You can't say they smell something bad. But sure. he does whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Smith is the same way. I mean, walls and walls of just dialogue. If you've ever read a kevin smith script uh <laughs> it, it looks nothing like any other script you've ever seen for better or for worse is there even any direction in there at all there's there's there will be like one line of action every yeah. three, every three pages hey, uh, it works ugh. for him uh yeah i mean oh. it works it works for him if you uh enjoy what he produces but <laughs> they stand uh, behind counter five pages mm-hmm. later yeah, exactly <laughs> they walk out door <laughs> Yeah, no, I I've never read an Aaron Sorkin script, but I I imagine they're very similar. Mm-hmm. That that both of them are just like walls of dialogue. Uh, yeah, I have the I think I have the Social Network script, and it's very hefty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, with the dialogue. Yeah. So let's see, what am I drinking? I'm drinking a uh, cryptic red blend wine, which is actually really really good. I would highly endorse this. It's a little more expensive than the wine I usually get, but not. Oh definitely, my! Definitely not super expensive. It was a uh, a seventeen dollar bottle instead of an eleven dollar bottle. <laughs> uh, but hey, that that feels like a big deal when you're at the wine store and you're not looking at immediately at the cheapest wine you can find. So that's how you know you're an adult. That's true. That's how you know you've hit your late twenties. I'm not of... pouring anything down my gullet anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it doesn't hey. it doesn't come out of a box. <laughs> Fuck you guys. <laughs> Oh, Rob, we're not commenting on your cheap whiskey anymore. So, Rob, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book we all read in preparation for this episode? Yes. So, last year at some point, during one of our news roundups, we covered a screenplay sabermetrics article that was printed in the New York Times. And then a writer from the internet, he goes under the pseudonym of Film Critic Hulk, or Film Crit Hulk. He writes in all caps, and he, he usually writes over at Badass Digest. He had a, had a very well thought out response to this and how it was basically a scam. That these people that were taking studio screenplays and trying to break it down into some sort of metric to figure out if it would be successful in the box office or not was bullshit it was put on and bad for hollywood bad for everyone so we covered that and film crit hulk was gracious enough not only to listen to the episode but he came and he smashed our comment board and (laughs) responded to us and we went back and forth a few times and i thought man what a cool guy fast forward to i think december he released a book on screenwriting called screenwriting 101 so I took a chance and I emailed him and I said, hey, look, Hulk, he came and he smashed our comment board once. We like you a lot. We uh, like what you have to say about movies. Is there any chance that we could get a copy so that we could talk about it? And it is perfect because while none of us are professional screenwriters, just yeah. for a little, yet, yes, yet. But um, <laughs> just for a little history here, Kristen and I met at Boston University in a screenwriting course way back when. We both continued to write. I moved to 
Los Angeles in hopes of writing more screenplays and for someone to eventually pay me one day to do that. And Jeff writes fiction. So and not only that, we're all avid moviegoers. And one of the great things about Hulk's book is that he has a very sort of modern right now sense in terms of let's look to recent movies and see how they worked or didn't work. You know, he's talking about the dark Knight. You talk about green lantern. He's talking about transformers movies. He's looking at some, you know, recent television shows as late as does finale of the Sopranos, a few others, which I'm blanking on right now. So I thought, wow, it'd be great to not only have this tone to talk about on this is serious business with my writing buds, not just as writing buds, but as someone we all appreciate film and storytelling. So there we go. That's how we've arrived at this spot. And uh, just because we only need you to do an hour's podcast, and we could talk forever about this book, Hulk has a very, and I mean, this is without the caps locks, Hulk has a very sort of dense way of writing. It's very comprehensive. So we would like to tackle some of the sections or sort of the chapters in the book. We're going to talk about the myth of the three-act structure. We always hear about three-acts in movies. Film crit Hulk thinks that's bullshit. I'm going to talk about getting rid of the hero's journey. Hero's journey is another thing that uh, gets thrown around a lot. Mostly Damn you, of, Joseph uh, Campbell! Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces. Is that the book? Yep. Whatever, whatever book George Lucas read to, uh, <laughs> to help him help him make uh, a new hope, and it has been copied ad nauseum to this very day. And we will be talking about what does and does not qualify as a movie plot hole, and if those plot holes even matter to the experience of sitting down and watching a movie. Well, We're going to try and hit all those anyway. Yeah, thank you for uh, for that intro, Rob. Just to give you a break, we'll uh, we'll start with some general impressions based on our our reading of of Hulk. Kristen, do you want to kick us off? Are you cool to say just how you generally felt after reading all this stuff and what your reaction was to it? Uh, I thought it was really interesting. It it definitely got me thinking a lot, and I mean, I was actually like making notes in my copy, also because I just seen Wolf of Wall Street, and I have a lot of Wolf of Wall Street feelings, and so I was kind of responding and talking back to this book, just thinking about recent movies I've seen. So it's very thought provoking that way, and it's very lively. I like how it's written, and like Rob said, it uses a lot of examples that I've heard of because I'm kind of the worst film major in the world. Like I haven't seen Chinatown or Casablanca. Ooh, I can oh. forgive one of those, but not both. It's because <laughs> I have, like, this block on, like, I should see it. It's like, that makes me want to see it less, just because I feel yes. like I'm, like, yeah, obligated yeah. to see it. Right, I, I, I know, know they're, yeah. yeah, they're both good, and I do, they're interesting, but it's just like, I'll get to them. But he's talking about movies I've seen, so that's what I like. And it, it's very, I guess, casual. You know, it, you know, like how I was talking to it, it feels like what we would talk about if I sat down and talked with Hulk. It, <laughs> you know, like, this is the, these are the kind of conversations we've had. The things that he's saying are things that, like, we just talk about on this podcast or, like, when we're getting drunk on or offline. Indeed. <laughs> and it is a one-on-one book. Like, a lot of the stuff I have heard before, but I do have a degree with my name on it, and a lot of people don't. So I think it is useful, and it's a good addition to the screenwriting canon. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I feel like it's a fascinating book because it is as much a criticism of established screenwriting guides as it is a description <laughs> of how to write a proper screenplay. I enjoyed reading the segments of it that I did immensely, and, and I went into it a little skeptical. I feel like any time I have a book that's 
titled Something 101, I go into it skeptical. But I was pleasantly surprised at how... I think casual is a really good word for it because it openly acknowledges that many of the points it makes are opinions mm-hmm. and that there is no one right answer and, and all that sort of thing. And oftentimes when you run into those 101 books, they're not as good about doing that as they need to be. But yeah, I uh, I generally enjoyed reading it a lot. And it was, obviously, I read the ca- all-caps version that you sent to us, and that was excellent. Oh, oh no, no. I the, uh, the, the irony of just... Reading it aloud in my head in Hulk's voice while while in-depth discussions of thematic content occurred. And every now and then when he launches into Hulk voice after he expresses something that that frustrates him immensely about the way people either talk about screenwriting or the tactics that they utilize during screenwriting, then he said it made Hulk so mad he went out and smashed. He just had to smash. Can you do a little Hulk voice right now? Can you do it again? A little bit? Hold on. Oh, boy. Hulk upset when thematic content values form over function. <laughs> it's still Cookie Monster. It's hard not to be Cookie Monster. It's a very good Cookie Monster. Yeah, it's very difficult to You're really be. good at Muppets. Yeah, no, it's true. Muppet characters are more my thing than, uh, <laughs> than comic book characters. But uh, rest assured, Hulk's voice is very fun to read in, and he definitely has a very distinct voice despite the fact that he's borrowing one of you know a major comic book character in order to to do so you can tell very clearly that there's a smart person behind there who has put a lot of thought and effort into this and that is doubly impressive given that it's an ebook which is another medium that I'm always inherently skeptical of no offense to people who write ebooks but hulk definitely impressed me went went beyond my expectations with the stuff that I read so rob what about you what were your general impressions well i was already a hulk fan before he even announced writing this book i had read him a lot over at badass digest I've wondered who he really is because you could tell for sure that there's there's someone very pensive and uh, intelligent back there. And an insider. Uh, and an insider. A couple of things have been sort of, dis- not discovered, but guessed about Hulk. Well, he's, he's up front about the fact that he has worked in the, the, the movie industry as a consultant and as a screenwriter. And it does sound like he does teach students somewhere. But uh, I think he's also from Boston somewhere, which I forgot to mention before. Oh, I think that slipped somewhere down the line that he it was yeah. originally from Boston. So that was interesting. Oh, my God. It's our old screenwriting professor. Uh, <laughs> that would be really strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, I doubt it is him. Yeah, so I've been reading him for a while over at Badass Digest. And uh, I do like the way he writes. I described it as dense before. And I don't mean dense in the sort of, like, impenetrable way. I mean dense in the fact that every paragraph is purposeful. It's it, academic just, writing. Just, just rich with mm-hmm. with purpose, and there's not a lot of skimming that you can do, especially yeah. in caps lock. That's what I meant. I think the first thing that really impressed me about Hulk is that when when Man of Steel came out and everyone was like throwing their hands up in the air about it, film crit Hulk came out with his big essay about how bad it was or, or how it didn't work, and was one of the few voices to do that. And of course, if you listen to our episode, we kind of felt the same way. So that was a, a vindicating internet moment where I was like, "Hey, this smart guy who I read feels the same hey! way." <laughs> So, um, smart guy, not like Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen's 
person defended it, but these smart people agree with me that it's bad. So, right. So, and then, you know, as, as I explained earlier, the Sabermetrics New York Times thing came out, and uh, he seemed like an accessible guy. And, yeah, and I think the writing is great. I've, I've read a number of screenwriting books, and I have to say uh, I like this one the best. I like how conversational it is. While being academic, I like how it feels like a book that was written right now. And we can talk about stuff like The Dark Knight and Green Lantern and, you know, all the good and bad things that have happened in the last few years. And I feel like I share a similar taste for movies as film crit Hulk. Like what Kristen said, I feel like this is this is what it would sound like if I sat with him and got a beer or coffee or whatever you said. <laughs> Cool. Well, I do want to thank Film Crit Hulk one more time for being so accessible and for letting us get early access to this yes. book, which is now available. So please go check it out and download it. It will be posted with the episode and on the Tumblr faux show. Uh, but on that note, we're going to take our first refill break of the evening, and then we are going to go into some specifics. So we will be our beat. <laughs> And we're back. So one of our favorite sections that we read was uh, chapter 45 entitled How to Approach Plot Holes and Movie Logic. A lot of this segment focused on the fact that Film Crit Hulk feels that a plot hole is kind of a misused term, particularly by people who are criticizing movies immediately after they've seen them. <laughs> because Lord knows we all walk out of movies and immediately say, well, there was this plot hole and that plot hole and etc etc but yeah Kristen, do you have any thoughts on this segment what's your reaction to it as a writer and a watcher of things well at first i disagreed with one part where he says a plot hole is not something that you notice after the movie which i thought was a little unfair but I, reading the actual that was the header reading the actual section it means like after you've watched the movie nine times and like eventually pick up on something because i was kind of thinking of star trek into darkness mm -hmm. because yes. i was so going along with that movie I'm like this is awesome this is great i walked out of there euphoric and i was happy for the rest of the night but i didn't need to oh. watch it again to start thinking about it and going oh, wait but, I mean, again, that might not be a plot hole so much. I think it applies because what he focuses on as being a plot hole is something that, like, defies the stated parameters of the universe. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest problem in that movie is they kind of forgot to make Khan evil. They make him evil in one stated line or, like, one stated exchange where Spock basically says, you're going to commit genocide. It's like, well... Because some old dude told you that offline. Like, that doesn't count. And so they forgot to characterize their big bad. Mm -hmm. And he only comes across as bad because, like, all the coding is there. But, mm -hmm. like, we never see him doing anything that's really unjustified. I mean, I guess he kind of squishes a guy's head, but, you know. That dude deserved it. Yeah, that guy was kind of an asshole, too. So that was something come. I was definitely thinking of, where I did kind of have the you know, day after realization that that's kind of bullshit. But I think it still counts as like a mm -hmm. movie very full of plot holes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny as well because I think uh, earlier on Film Crit Hulk talks a bit about his hatred for the misuse of destiny and that 
seems like a really good example of the misuse of destiny. And like, uh, and it's very insidery too, because it's like, wink, wink. The first time we did this, it was Spock, but now oh it's Kirk. Oh my god! Yeah, like mm-hmm. that's not good. And I talked about this in our episode well, where I- they have the god moment but it, and it takes away all the tension of that because it's like haha he's doing the line as opposed to he's sad about his friend well i don't know how i feel about that because i think it's, it's a tricky perspective issue there there are definitely yeah. a lot of people i know who like the original who really enjoyed watching that role reversal but i do agree with you by and large about the plot holes but it's tough in this situation to separate why we didn't care that there were so many issues with that movie to separate out if it was because the writing was so good or if it was because the rest of the movie was so good like if if the cast and the acting mm-hmm. and the, the direction hadn't been so like spot on rapid fire like i feel like that stuff made up for the problems in the writing as opposed to the writing being solid enough that i didn't notice all these horrifying logical problems i don't think uh, uh chris pine gets nearly enough credit because i think a lot of that movie is resting on his charisma mm-hmm. and a little bit carl urban too it has a lot to do with the acting that's pulling that movie he uses dark knight as an example where that moves at such a frantic pace and it's emotional and visceral and i remember thinking back to that movie and he's right like it took multiple viewings of that to realize like oh hey like a doesn't really connect to b and why does this happen and all that stuff and that's good and that's an example he uses in the in the book itself it's like hey the ninth time i watched this movie it didn't make sense that's not a valid thing to say about a movie i mean if you're watching it nine times something else is working emotionally (laughs) and that's kind of the point yeah i agree there where i disagree is when I was reading this specific section about plot holes, was I thought about Into Darkness and I thought about Prometheus. Oh, and yes! Was, in these movies, it didn't take a ninth time to watch them to take us out and be like, hey, wait a second, it was happening during the movie, during the first watch, where logic didn't match up. And I'm like, wait, what? Why? Man, you know, I did sort of enjoy Into Darkness that first time. And then it came on again, and uh, I I couldn't sit through it. Because I knew that it's all visceral. It's all that first time you're experiencing all this newness. But once you get through that and try and watch it again, it's like, I don't care. And I know that none of this is going to add up to anything. And all of it's just sort of spackled on. Maybe Star Trek fans like it, but I couldn't watch it again. And Prometheus is the same way. I tried watching that a second time. And once you get through that initial, like, huh? Viewing, like watching it again is like just torture. For full reference, the way the book breaks down that segment is in five different sections. They're all basically ends to the statement, a plot hole is not, dot, dot, dot. The first is a blatant movie stopper, and then he explains what he means. Right. Something that only seems confusing in retrospect, and I think this is the one we're kind of keeping, we're taking a little bit of issue with. Again, there are so many different factors at play here. Then there is an event that simply occurs off screen, a loose end, though it can be, in parentheses, Mm -hmm. or a real-life inaccuracy. Sure. Um, And I agree with 90% of that. I think it's the something that seems confusing after. Or a movie stopper. In the case of Into Darkness, it was after the fact. And in the case of Prometheus, it was a movie stopper. And maybe plot hole isn't the correct term, 
But in terms of, you know, connecting your story, your narrative with links of logic that are propelled by character choices, those movies, I think, get a failing grade. I don't know. It's I, I think we're having ta- accountability for the things yes. that you write and not just like throwing down like a bunch of cool ideas and hoping they stick together. I was just thinking of Hannibal, actually, because the TV show. Um, the show, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The show. It gets a lot of mileage on dream logic. There's a fair amount of, wait, how does he get into Minnesota so quickly or whatever? But I think the show kind of runs with it, and so it can kind of get away with it. It's getting a little on thin ice. But I, and also from the predecessor, I think, I remember talking about this in screenwriting when we watched the end of Silence of the Lambs, and they do that kind of fake out yeah. with the houses. And yeah. you know that whole bit where, like, yep. you show one yeah, house yeah. and it's the raid, and then they sh- close up on Scott Glenn, and he realizes they're in the wrong house, and he goes, Clarice. And there's no reason he should be thinking of her in that moment. (laughs) There's absolutely no reason he should think that she has found the right house. Like, that is a huge leap of logic. But it works because we know what's going on. And so it's emotionally true in that way. And I think that's also kind of what Hulk is getting at is... That's what he talks about with Dark Knight, is that, like, it's so emotionally... Emotionally true leaps are forgiven because we feel them. Yeah. And I, I think you just hit it right on the head. It's the nuts and bolts of, like, I'm trying to understand, like, you have, you're transporting missiles, and then, like, okay, there are people in them, and then, like, okay, (laughs) wait, there's a lot of people in them, and then, like, who had access to the missiles before? And, like, when you're trying to follow the the exposition stuff, and the exposition stuff makes absolutely no sense, and it's totally divorced from any of the character stuff that's going on, Mm -hmm. that's when you run into trouble. And yeah. I think Into Darkness and Prometheus are both like exhibits A and B of mm-hmm. that because both of those are science fiction movies, but a lot of the times the emotional stuff, if any, and I'm talking about Prometheus, but the emotional stuff and sort of the let's understand the world and the world building stuff are happening on different, I don't want to say planets. <laughs> right? They're growing separately. It, they're parallel. So Kristen is absolutely right. If, if you make that leap of logic and it tugs at our heartstrings, it hits, you know, some resonant emotional note, I think it's absolutely 100% forgiven. And it's, I think that's what the Dark Knight gets out of it, too. It might not be an emotional note. It might just be like, holy shit, what is happening next? You're just, like, on this roller coaster ride. I think it's interesting that Hulk worded this as what isn't a plot hole as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, going over what is. And... As we've been talking, I just realized, like, I think that's important because if you're just trying to make your script airtight, that can take a lot of the humanity out of it. And so it's probably right. good that he's addressing it this way as, like, don't worry about this. And he talked about that. He ends the plot hole chapter with worry more about character holes, worry more about mm-hmm. emotional holes, worry more about motivational holes, worry more about inspirational holes, drama holes. <laughs> Holes, worry holes, more holes. about theme holes, momentum, pacing. Mm-hmm. Worry less about plot holes. Because if you're getting all the emotional stuff right in a story, that's when you have leeway to sort of be like, oh, I can fudge this part. I can fudge this part. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing Into Darkness or you're doing Prometheus, those emotional parts, those character parts are thin. Well, maybe not in the case of Into Darkness, but they're not. No, it there, is. There's so much. There's so much exposition going on. It's so much world building. So much understanding of like what means what in this world that you really need to button that up as, I, as tight as possible because I, I think it does ruin the movie when you have to 
stop and think like, wait, what? I don't understand what the stakes are in the next scene because Mm -hmm. I don't understand where this other thing came from (laughs) and how it relates to the rest of the story. Uh, I think I agree with you on Prometheus. I disagree with you on Into Darkness. Again, because of extraneous factors that don't have to do with the screenplay. Again, I think that the acting and the performance of the dialogue is so engaging that you forget about the fact that they've decided to literally, and I'm going to rob Lowe this from Parks and Recreation, they've literally (laughs) created a situation where they have a frozen, unlimited supply of blood that actually brings people back from the dead (laughs) in that movie. Like, that's just true. just think about that for just a second. But you just you don't care again because there are so many other factors around right. that movie that don't have to do with the script that make up for the fact that the the logic is batshit insane. Right. To amend my spiel earlier, I would have to say that Prometheus was a quote unquote movie stopper for me and Into Darkness was like cool. And then as I talked about it more and more with other people, it became less cool. So yeah, it, it, it wasn't after effects. is more of that retrospect point. It's, right. it's that it, it, this stuff doesn't become apparent uh, except on retrospect. It's just a matter of whether or not the script is what made it retrospect as, a, as opposed to during the movie or all the other stuff made it retrospect. Uh, so, right. But I, I actually want to ask you guys about structure a bit, because I feel like we've touched upon it a bit in this discussion of the plot hole segment, and the book does spend a lot of time talking about the three-act structure and about how... And it's, how it's bullshit. Well, not necessarily bullshit, but how, it, you know, it's a quote-unquote myth, according to Film Crit Hulk, and maybe people are, much like the Hero Journey stuff, maybe people are mis- misusing it. It's not that it's not valid or that there's something there. It's that people are valuing the wrong portions of it. So, Kristen, I want to ask you specifically about this because I know that you have had the three-act structure beaten into you mercilessly. How did you feel reading, reading that segment and about the book's comments on structure as a whole? His comment on structure is that there could actually be multiple acts within a screenplay and in a movie. And he mentions Malcolm X in particular as a movie that has several acts in it, not just three. And my first reaction was, is this my first screenwriting professor? Because we watched, (laughs) I took three semesters of screenwriting because that's what they offered for undergrads. And my first semester, I had uh, a woman who taught that and she taught Malcolm X. Like We watched that in class. And I think Hulk said like six or seven. I think we counted into the double digits. That movie is complex, and as it should be, because it's a biopic and it's mm-hmm. an important topic. And it's really good. It's a, I loved that movie. But then the next two semesters, it was all three act. And it was very, like, mathematical and, like, your first act should end within 15 pages. Or, like, between 15 and 20 pages. Like, you should be able to, like, chart the actual paper of your script out. And I kind of bought into that, and I think my reaction to Film Crit Hulk's book was that since it's a 101 book, I think he should have gone a little bit more into talking about what the three-act structure is. And he, I mean, he, he puts in a lot of charts and things. I believe that rules are important mm-hmm. because, especially as like a 101 I think, starting point, Yeah, I think rules can be good as they give you some sort of structure and then you go ahead and learn how to bend them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is more of a 301 or a 401. Yeah. 
to be honest. And I wonder if the, the 101 is just sort of a cheeky title uh, yeah. uh, on account of that. But, but you're, I feel you're... other parts of the book are 101, which is good and it's necessary, but I feel like at this part struck out as like this is a more advanced level well it's interesting to me because it felt like he started with the advanced stuff it felt like the final third was where he was like and here's here's a how-to guide yeah uh you know but the first two thirds were all like here's my in-depth meta-analysis of how people think about doing this (laughs) and you're right that's not that's not one that's not an introduction to screenwriting that is a you are well versed in stuff like sid field you've gone Mm -hmm. through and you've 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 taken a course or two or five or six, and here is me telling you why some of the things you've learned in those courses need to be thought about in a different way. Yeah, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying it seemed out of place. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. And I don't sure. think there's a problem in teaching like a rigid structure as long as you then give people the freedom to be like, eh, you can fudge it a little. Is it going to change the way you attempt to write in the future? Well, I'm actually working on a novel right now. Mm. Uh, but I do feel so like... So more than three acts in that novel, I imagine. Although I do feel like I am kind of following the three-act structure where like, I need to get to the reveal and like what's the point. Because that's what I like to read, too. I wind, And I do wind up reading books the same way I watch movies as, like, where's the plot? What's going on? What's the desire? What are people after? What's and, the hook? Yeah. And knowing these things affects how I watch movies, too. I might have brought this up in our Skyfall podcast, but I found myself kind of adrift in that because if you're going by a three-act structure, the third act in Skyfall comes really early. There's like 45 minutes left in that movie when the third act happens, which I'm pegging as when they start going into Scotland. The third act is really long, and so that's kind of breaking the rules. And I really like that movie, so it works fine. But looking for that three-act structure made me start to think, where's this movie going? I got a little confused at that point. Mm-hmm. So that, I, I guess I'm arguing that, you know, relying too heavily on three acts can be detrimental. Yeah. Uh, Rob, do you think you have to know the rules before you can break them? Um, yeah. It's a heavy I question. Do. Um, it is a very heavy question. In terms of screenwriting, I mean, I studied the hell out of my screenwriting courses in college and then went on to read Sid Field and Snyder's Save the Cat and other books. And you get a lot of conflicting information, but they're all sort of based around this three-act thing. And you get to a certain point where you're exhausted and frustrated and you think that everything is bullshit and you're like, I don't know if they know what they're talking about. Or they think they're successful in communicating this idea. I think the three-act thing is useful in talking about movies after the fact because you can sort of pinpoint to people because it's, you know, it's so it's so out there now. People know, okay, at the end of the second act, most people, I think, watching movies or interested in movies can sort of know where that is. It's before your big finale and all is lost and all that stuff. So it's important after the fact. When you're writing, th- mm. that three-act thing is totally different. And Hulk touches on that. And I became a film crit Hulk fan before Man of Steel. He re- he actually released his, his three-act is a myth article online at Badass, I believe, before the book, way before the book. And I read it, and I was like, wow, this makes a lot of sense. He bases it on basically Shakespeare. And that three acts are usually around five, around how Shakespeare has formatted his plays or structured his plays. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 
that that makes way more sense to me because when you're trying to navigate structure writing and you you're like here are three buckets you got to fill and this middle bucket's very big and these other buckets are smaller and then it's like well that's all you need just fill these three buckets and you're like well okay i sort of i sort of know what goes in that first bucket kind of and then it's somewhere in that middle big bucket you're like what the fuck am i doing i had a professor christian reminded me uh, I had a professor who did it, and, and Hulk who does it in largely the same way, and it's based on character choices, mm-hmm. mostly. I would agree that there are exceptions, but I think act breaks happen with character choices. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where the way I write, I write in sort of sequences, and they do sort of break up into acts. But, yeah, the three-act thing, what I'm talking about with the buckets, is paralyzing, especially to new students. I don't, I don't know how... Mm-hmm. I think 101 screenwriting, not the book, but or just around the world, must just weed out so many people because they're like, I don't understand what this means. Yeah, the second act kind of can become like a, and here a miracle happens, and just getting from point A to point C is yeah. like, filler! Right. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. right for like writing that, I'm approaching it more as a reader because I'm terrible about forcing myself to write. So, I think, yeah, I think I, you're right. I, I like the idea of breaking story structure in and in particular screenwriting structure into smaller sort of sequences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the case of screenwriting 101, the book is calling them acts. It's five acts. But in saying that it could be six acts, it could be four acts, it could be ten acts. And like you guys are saying with Malcolm X, there's 20. quite many. It, it's, it's what the story needs. And I- if the story... Story requires, you know, either two or a hundred. You got to do it. Yeah, no, I think at the end of the day, it's all about avoiding filler and forcing writers to do due diligence and make sure that every scene that they write has a strong purpose. And that is so easy to say. It's incredibly easy to say. It's so hard to do. It is so hard to do. And the the most successful movies out there absolutely do it. The least successful movies out there absolutely suffer from it. Uh, Film Crit Hulk brings up Green Lantern a ton. He talks very specifically about the fact that there's a a false choice. The character development is incredibly contrived. You end up in a situation where... There's, there's a quote-unquote resisting the call portion of the hero's journey, for instance, that occurs in that movie that is just absolutely unnecessary and lazy. And as a result, you end up with this boring thing where it's like every, every person who enjoys movies, who watches Green Lantern, immediately knows what's going to happen in that movie when... Ryan Reynolds, Hal Jordan character. I think he's Hal Jordan in that movie. It yep. probably is. It basically says like, "Well, I'm I'm not cut out for, or you know, I'm I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not my destiny. It's not me." And then you're like, "Well, at the end of the fucking movie, I'm pretty sure he's gonna decide that he's the Green Lantern." That's what this is all about. It's that valuing again form over function which i said jokingly in my cookie monster hulk voice earlier uh, seems to be the point of of what hulk is saying it's that people need to be sure they value the deeper stuff the actual reason behind all of this form stuff when they're putting something together instead of right. adhering to a form for the sake of adhering to the form 
That's the note I got all the time in my class is, this is a great image. I love it. It's great. What's it doing here? Mm-hmm. It's pretty and I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Either yep. come up with a reason or cut it. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. want to. Now, you certainly can make a shit ton of money off of that, um, (laughs) but it does not necessarily make for a good screenplay. And that's something I want to bring up briefly. I feel like screenwriting in particular, for uh, both screenplays and teleplays especially, has a, of all the, the forms of writing that you can do, has a unique interaction with commerce. And it's sort of an unfortunate factor, but... Obviously, many movies are made specifically to make money. It's a very expensive thing to invest in. It's hard to do so just for the sake of art. I want to talk a bit about how, at least I felt, and see if you guys felt the same way, that a lot of what Hulk is criticizing falls in line with the idea of making movies for the wrong reasons. Because, again, rehashes of the hero's journey, things that adhere to the real screenwriting 101 books that just very nakedly describe, like, your screenplay needs a conflict, and then it needs a resolution. Uh, that stuff seems to mostly be money-driven. It's, it's, it's a company that has a franchise and basically says, you know, well, we need the sixth movie in this franchise. What can we do? Let's mad-lib this script and fill in some blanks. And I, I think if people read film crit hulk's book and take it to heart they will avoid that and instead focus on good writing as opposed to just well we need this plastic thing to go on the shelves but did you guys get the same sense or am i off in my own world here i agree i have a friend who's in a very prestigious producer's program right now in grad school and uh, just before the holidays she was like do you have save the cat it's required reading for me. And I just, like, died a little inside because <laughs> I was like, that should not be required reading for you or for anyone because it's bad. It's bad for bad for business and it's bad for audiences. You know, it's one of the books, actually, that Hulk calls out in uh, Screenwriting 101. But I hear you, Jeff. In that book in particular... You know, he wrote commercial movies, and he thought that there was, like, a mathematical sort of... Not a mathematical, but, like, a very rigid template that these movies fell upon, and these are the only kinds of movies that people will enjoy, Mm -hmm. and it will make money, and that will make their way through the pipeline from reader to associate producer to producer to, you know, director to, you know, being an actual produced film, Mm -hmm. which... You know, you can't blame someone who's in the system already to, you know, sort of believe that. It ruined two of my scripts because for a brief moment I was like, yeah, this this seems to all make sense. And of course, and tried to conform. And I did. And those those drafts sucked. And the drafts have gotten any attention, you know, limited as it is, have been ones where I was sort of thrown out the fact that like, okay, I don't need to have X happen on page number Two, mm-hmm. or fifteen, or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. After and, the girl falls um, in love with the vampire, she doesn't need to also fall in love with the werewolf. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. So while I actually was very skeptical of reading Hulk's book as well, not because it wasn't an e-book or, or whatever the case, it was in caps. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I I was hesitant because I've read these books and they've mostly been harmful. 
But this one wasn't. It felt more outside the system, quote, quote unquote, the system, and just, you know, really focused on quality storytelling. And I appreciate it. Well, on that note, we are going to take our second refill break of the episode. We will. <clears throat> we will what? What? BRB. back so we are going to discuss some final thoughts final thoughts are an opportunity for us to say anything that we didn't get a chance to say in the past 45 minutes or so or to sum up our feelings on the subject at hand let's start with rob on that one rob what are your final thoughts on screenwriting and screenwriting 101 by film crit hulk my final thoughts on screenwriting as a whole that's pretty loaded that is very loaded. Um, it's very loaded i'm gonna show you don't get you don't get to talk about this ever again rob <laughs> <laughs> Your final uh, thoughts. Let me talk about the book, which I liked very much. And as I mentioned before, I was skeptical of another screenwriting book, but because I respected so much of his academic writing before on Ben S. Digest, I was sort of excited for this release, and it didn't disappoint. I've read most of it. I'm, I'm at the very end now, but it's been pretty rewarding. And, you know, I'm in the middle of rewriting a draft now that I have have to show someone so that even made it more scary because it does like man if he brings up something that i realize i'm not doing that's going to be crippling it's not structured that way and it really does respect the craft of screenwriting in a way that hey it's not a blueprint it's not a bare bones document that other people use to make a movie and that the words don't really matter he believes it's really really literary and i really respect that because i've always thought that not even before i you know started writing myself so that was good to hear and inspiring and i would agree with kristen that there may be some confusion with the 101-ness of it and some of the deep tissue stuff that he does that's not to say that i don't think readers could grasp all of it but it does go very deep tissue on some stuff And that could come off as intimidating. I wasn't intimidated, but I could see how that could happen. So there might be sort of like a, not a tonal issue, but in in terms of a depth issue, where some things are like, oh, okay, no brainer, very clear. And other points are like, wow, this is like really deep level cinema sort of discussion, which I loved. But if I had gotten that freshman year and was reading that, I could imagine myself, you know, hiding under my bed. He has a great episode one. Phantom Menace fix in there that I liked a lot, mm-hmm. and I do actually like Phantom Menace. But I the uh, hell's wrong with I you? I will admit that. <laughs> well, a lot of things, Jeff. But uh, I will admit that it does have faults. And Film Crit Hulk has a, a quick little fix to it that was like, oh, okay, this is already seventy percent more interesting. So there are those little like not I don't want to say pop culture nuggets, but modern cinema nuggets sprinkled throughout the book that really make it engaging and readable and all the academia of the book is richer for it it's not dry it's very engaging i would recommend it i would recommend it to my friends here and anyone who is interested not only in writing a screenplay but i think this is valuable in the even just being like a film buff i enjoyed this quite a bit and well done tip of the cap to film crit hulk 
Awesome, glad to hear it. So let's move on to Kristen. Kristen, what are your final thoughts? Well, first, I was horrified that, Rob, you were saying that someone you know is, like, reading books in their screenwriting class. And I just want to praise Jesus for our screenwriting class, which is basically, when it's your week, bring in 15 pages, we're going to read them, and then we're going to talk about them. And we're going to sprinkle in wisdom, you know, that is applicable to everyone, but it's basically just reading and writing. And, like, reading other Mm -hmm. people's scripts. And I think that's probably the most important thing to learn how to write. It's just do it. And which is funny coming from me because I'm the worst. I need, need to follow my own advice. That being said, this book, I really liked it. I found it inspiring. In my first semester of screenwriting, we did do like character trees, which is something that Hulk talks about. And it's kind of, it, I don't know why they call it trees because it's based on like a human body and like the feet are the physical characteristics, the groin are the desires and so on. You kind of, it's just character mapping out. And I immediately went and did that for my main character. So I found the book inspiring and I actually, we got like a reader's copy of this so that we could do this podcast, which was very generous, but I just went and bought the book because, yeah, (laughs) hey, let's not build a shrine to me. It's $5. That's a burrito. That that is exactly (laughs) how I thought of it. That's kind of uh, how I justify all my art purchases online. If I buy like fan art, I kind of feel like... I am... How many burritos is this going to cost me? No, no, no. It's more like I want to support this person with my money, like as a patron. And so I thought, you know, if I met Hulk, I'd want to buy him a coffee. I would I'd take him to Starbucks. So, you know, it was very generous to send us this book. So how would I buy it from you? Because I enjoyed it. Not to pat myself on the back. That's not what I'm saying. It's just like, I like this enough to buy it and I appreciate Hulk and I want Hulk to do well. It's a pat on Hulk's back. Yeah. Hulk's large, green, muscular back. Yeah. Pat, pat. Pat, pat. Thank you, Kristen. So let's see, what are my final thoughts? I think a lot of what Hulk says in his more analytical chapters, the ones that are less guide-oriented and more about the critiquing of the established screenwriting theory, actually are broad enough that they can be applied to various different types of storytelling. I've tried a lot of different things in my day. I, I've written feature-length screenplays. I, I'm working on a, a prose-based novel. I've attempted that in the past. I've, I've definitely tried comic book writing, which was a totally different ballgame. But a lot of what he says applies to all of it, and that makes it really, really great. In many ways, I'd say about half of this book is about storytelling in general, as opposed to just screenwriting. Mm-hmm. So, on, I mean, every single person out there, I think, is familiar with stories, regardless of whether or not you're familiar with screenwriting as a medium. So this is the type of work that can be relevant to you if, you're, if you have an interest in this stuff, pretty much no matter what angle you're coming at it from. So I would definitely endorse checking it out. For sure. That said, I do agree that it's more of a an advanced level book than it makes itself out to be. It is absolutely not a 101 book. It's the sort of thing that relies on you having a pre-existing notion of storytelling concepts. So if you do, absolutely go pick this up. If not, you know, maybe check out an excerpt, maybe check out Film Crit Hulk's Twitter for a while and see if, if you like it, and then go for it based on that. But I'm certainly glad that I got a chance to read a good portion of it, and I'm glad that we talked about it here. That about wraps up our discussion on screenwriting and Screenwriting 101 by Film Crit Hulk. And we are going to wrap up this episode the same way we end every episode of This Is Serious Business, and that's with our Geek of the Week segment where we talk about things we've been watching, reading, doing, playing, etc. over the past week or so. 
So let's start with me, actually, because Whoa! I've made Kristen, I've made Kristen Rouse start this entire Whoa! episode, and that that's uh, you know Talking for once I'm about gonna breaking the rules. I know. and like going out of standard structure, Jeff. Yeah, jeez. I'm gonna talk about the Banner Saga a bit, which I've I've posted about on our Facebook and our Twitter. The Banner Saga is an indie game that just came out recently that was a big, big Kickstarter project by a company called Stoic Studios. And it is a gorgeous, hand-drawn strategy role-playing game involving several Nordic-inspired cultures basically dealing with the fact that their world is ending. And it's one of the best games I've played in a long, long time. It's very, very unapologetic in terms of the difficulty, if you set it to normal difficulty or above. And I really like that about it, especially since the whole point of it is that everything is going to shit. You really get the sense that everything is going to shit, and you are constantly struggling to basically keep your caravan going, as it were. It jumps around the world from character to character in much the same way that a novel would, and I like that about it. It also uses voiceover sparingly, which is incredibly nice to see in a game. And it relies a lot on just reading good old-fashioned text, which gives it more of an immersive quality in my view, especially when you couple that with the gorgeous visuals and illustrations. So I highly endorse the Banner Saga. Even if you are not the biggest gamer in the world, at least take a look at it, because it is, it's engaging and really compelling. So that about does it for me. Let's move on to Kristen. Kristen, what have you been up to lately? This past week was the BSI weekend, which is a misnomer because it started on Wednesday. And that's the Baker Street Irregulars, which is a invite-only Sherlock group, but there are lots of non-invite-only events. Kicking off on just like a fairly casual dinner on Wednesday where we took up the entire second floor of a restaurant in Midtown. And I know a fair amount of Sherlockians at this point, but... I got there pretty early because I could just walk there from work and wound up just sitting down with people I've never met before and I just sat there for hours. Got to hang out with a lot of Sherlockian friends and made a lot of new ones and it was an awesome weekend. But also, as I was talking about how I feel like a patron of the arts sometimes, I want to talk about a Kickstarter from a few years ago that they finally posted their video on Vimeo. It's called Reds at the Crossing. Oh yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and speaking of screenwriting... It, it was written by someone we've met before. Some guy. Some dude. Some jerk. Some asshole. What's his yeah. fucking name? Oh, it's Rob. Uh, yeah, Rob's movie that he wrote. And I know other people wrote on it, but I'm like, fuck him. Rob's movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get you in so much trouble. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Reds at the Crossing. It's on Vimeo. You can search it and it comes up. This still is terrifying, but it's so good. It's like so... It's nice and quiet. It's another, like, small-town family with secrets that is just such an awesome genre, and I love it, and you should all check it out. We will post links to it on the Aww. Tumblr and all yes. the other good stuff. The Facebook, etc., etc., etc. This dude, he wrote a fucking screenplay, and now, you know, it got made. And it wasn't, like, shot in a potato. This is, like, professional shit. <laughs> you know? This is fucking good. It was a potato, it just was a really, really expensive one. Yeah, it was an HD potato. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, so let's move on to Rob. Speaking of Rob, Rob, what have you been up to lately? It's weird that Kristen Did mentioned I steal the it? thing I shouldn't be talking about. No, you didn't steal it, but I realized, like, oh, duh, I should be talking about that. I will talk about that in a second, but um, I like to be relevant, and I like to be timely, 
And uh, as of right now, I'm looking at my computer screen, and Quentin Tarantino has walked away from his next movie. The script for what the next fuck was Western. that? Western. spitting out all my wine. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know if we're having another Michelle bookshelf situation going on. Sorry. Overly dramatic response. Okay. Yeah. So right. he's walked away today from his next uh, Western, The Hateful Eight, because it got leaked. It's out there. Apparently he gave it to six people, six trusted people, and one of them couldn't be trusted. So the script is out there, and he's very depressed about it, it says, and uh, he's just going to move on to the next thing. To which he says he has ten more where that came from. That sounds like... <laughs> more revenge yeah. movies. More revenge... <laughs> yeah, no, more revenge, more revenge the movies. The who leaked my screenplay. Yeah. I they're mean, not that was really bound about, to happen. They're not really about the action. They're more about the love affair with cinema. They're about killing motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. It's and weird because... love affair with cinema. Sure. Not to out myself a little bit, but uh, I had Django Unchained for maybe at the very least nine months before it came out mm-hmm. so maybe this is the first one he's just privy to or maybe it's you know they're still in pre-production he's still trying to cast it and he says it's a first draft so that probably stings a lot so i don't blame him but he's uh he's not bulletproof you got to protect that shit and secondly yes i would like to quickly pump the short film that i wrote that is finally ready to be viewed and uh, a few this is serious business people have helped out on it Jeff and Christian both supported the Kickstarter. John, who's not with us, not only helped us with our Kickstarter video with some storyboard illustrations, but then he designed the poster. Michelle contributed to our Kickstarter. Gina did. But uh, thank you to both of you and to John and to everyone who helped out. And uh, we're pretty proud of it. And it is on Vimeo. And uh, if you've seen me on Twitter lately, I'm probably talking about it. But, uh, yeah, I guess we can put a link with this episode as well. That would be cool. Well, great. Congratulations, Rob. And at this point, I want to give you guys an opportunity to make any shout-outs to let people know where they can find you online. So let's start with Kristen on that one. Shout-out to Filmcrit Hulk. What up? Thanks for sending yeah. us your book. What, what? You can find me on Twitter at, <laughs> at Nero's Liar. That's L-Y-R-E. Cool. Rob, what about you? I will also shout out to Film Crit Hulk. Thank you for responding to my email and sending us your wonderful book. And not only one version with all caps, which I could not read with my puny eyes, but also with a more gentler, lowercase, standard <laughs> version that didn't hurt my puny eyes. Yeah, second Thank to you. that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Heroes Are Born. Nice. I will also give a shout out to Film Crit Hulk. I do want to reiterate that people who become internet famous, it's very rare that you run into one that does actually read all their email and respond to it. A lot of them say that they do that, but mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that Film Crit Hulk actually does that because, I mean, we're just a bunch of schmoes and he's nice enough to, you know, give us an advanced copy of his book, etc. And reply in a timely manner. Yeah. Holy wow. shit. That was fast. Yeah. That was awesome. awesome. Definitely reiterating the shout out to Film Crit Hulk. You can find me on Twitter now. I have a new Twitter. It's it's very exciting. <gasps> oh my god! It's not really that exciting. I'm Tisby Jeff. That's T I S B for this is serious business, Jeff. And I've been tweeting a little bit lately, but uh, just uh, just testing the waters. You know, this is my first Twitter as a person and not as an entity. So it's very strange. Pretty good. That, that makes you sound like an eldritch god or something. Like yes. I have now become a person. I have coalesced my form. I am being, <laughs> yes. 
you can find this podcast at tisbecast.com. That's T-I-S-B-C-A-S-T dot com. The website also has links to our awesome Tumblr, as well as our Facebook and our Twitter accounts. So uh, do check all of those things out. Likewise, if you'd like to leave a comment on this episode uh, regarding anything that we have said, you can do so at the website. And as always, I have absolutely no idea how to end this episode, aside from saying that it's cold and snowy and that Rob is a jerk. Hey, you drink your wine blend Mm -hmm. and you shut up. And you drink your cheap whiskey out of a coconut. (laughs) And I just sit here fat and chubby and warm. <laughs> no, you have that garbage fire that you're yeah. so fun. Yeah, with. that's true. That garbage fire <laughs> keeps you warm. That is one hundred percent correct. Thank God. <laughs> uh. All right, let's go in five. Uh... <laughs> well done, Kristen. Yeah. I'm sorry. I tried to get it out. It's okay. Water. No, get it out. Get it all out. <laughs> 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 Alrighty. I am a Let's... dainty princess. <laughs> princess Ugeni! Uh, Alright. Okay. Interior, Boston, evening. Jeff sits clutching his knees to his chest as snow whips against his windows. Cut to interior, Kristen, evening. Kristen lights her trash... No, I fucked it up already. <laughs> My right, this, trash? Is, this, is really Side this is really hard. This is this is a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one. I've had some wine. All right, we're gonna try it one more time. I'm not cutting one this. One more time. One more time. Okay, and then we're gonna go. Interior, Kristen. Interior, Kristen. No. <laughs> Interior, New York. All right. Okay. Let's do it one more time. All right. This is serious business.